Some people say the Jets trading for Aaron Rodgers will mortgage their future. That's not really true, but it will cost them some degree of financial flexibility going forward. I'll explain why on today's episode of the Locked On Jets podcast. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, March 29th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from GangGreenNation.com, thanking you for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. You can subscribe or follow Locked On Jets for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts to get the latest episode as soon as it's available. Today we have our weekly mailbag show. Each Wednesday we try and do a mailbag full of listener questions. Thanks so much to everybody who sent in their questions this week. And let's begin with a question about Aaron Rodgers. Who else would we begin? A, who else would we talk about? Our first question. One of the constant talking points with the Aaron Rodgers situation is the sacrifice of long-term financial flexibility. Essentially, the Jets would be mortgaging their future by bringing in Rodgers and his contract. This does not make sense to me. If it's because of the restructuring of contracts to fit in Aaron Rodgers, could the Jets not just soften the blow by having the Packers eat some of the money? If he, re if he retires next year, that money is off the books. So how does adding him mortgage the future exactly? How much damage would it do in future years? So one thing I want to say is that you, I think you have to be very careful with using phrases like mortgage the future because I don't think that trading for Aaron Rodgers will mortgage the future. And I think when, when you're talking about mortgaging the future, I think you're talking about legitimately ending any chance the Jets have to compete. And I, something like that would mean that they would not have the money to re-sign Sauce Gardner or re-sign Garrett Wilson. That's not true. And that's not going to happen because the Jets get Aaron Rodgers. So I, I think that it's, it's very easy to go to extremes in something like this and say that there's no long-term implications by trading for Rodgers. It's just as extreme to say that the Jets will be mortgaging their future. They will not be mortgaging their future. So I want to put that to rest right now. It will create obstacles, however. So I, I want to, so let's talk about the structure of Rodgers' contract. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting structure because most of the money he's going to make in 2023 is in the form of a bonus that the Jets presumably will pick up after they trade for him. And a bonus, the way a bonus is paid in the cap is essentially you get the the player gets all the money up front or you know at some point in the near future he gets 100% of the money but the cap hits are spread out equally over the life of the deal so with Rodgers he's got his bonus payment his bonus is around 60 million that's 60 million dollars there are 4 years left on his contract so Rodgers gets 60 million dollars for playing in 2023 but the cap hit this year is only around 15 million dollars but that also adds a $15 million cap hit to 2024. It adds a $15 million cap hit to 25, and it adds a $15 million cap hit to 26. And that's on top of what he's going to make in those years. So that's not that doesn't mean his cap number is $15 million the next three years. That means you add $15 million over onto whatever he's making in those years. So when we talk about moving forward, I think the question mentioned that if Rodgers retires, that his, his contract disappears. That's not true. That money does not disappear. The, the Jets paid Aaron Rodgers $60 million. Every 
every every penny of that sixty million dollars eventually needs to be charged to them against the cap. And you know, I, I've talked in recent weeks and months months about some of my reservations. A lot of that deals with Rogers retiring, because a lot of that money comes due if Rogers retires. Now there are a couple different ways this could play out. I mean, there's a scenario where they could actually be charged the entire $45 million next year if, reti- if Rodgers retires after this year. More likely, they would probably work it out to split it over the next two seasons, but that's not an insubstantial amount of money. If you're talking about back-to-back years where a guy counts $22 million, $22.5 million or so against your cap, and he's not on your team, that does impact your team's chances to compete. I mean, that's a very large percentage of, of your cap going to a player who's no longer on your team, who's not helping you in the least. And this is also at the point where some of your young core is about to enter their prime. So would this Jets be, you know, would this mortgage the future? Well, not in the sense that, you know, the Jets would be precluded from competing, but you can't take, you know, $20 million off your cap. You're, I mean, you're playing at a disadvantage against every other team in the league. You're essentially starting with $20 million left, less to work with for two straight years. They're 22 and a half, I guess. You know, but that's a lot of money to, to be working at a disadvantage. It's it's an obstacle. Can you can you overcome it? Yes, that's why it's not mortgaging the future. But we can't sit here and act like that's nothing. You know, and I think I do think another point that was made was that the fact that the Jets, in order to fit Rodgers and to fit some of these other guys into their cap situation, they're pushing a lot of guaranteed money to the future where they'll have to pay players for past performance. So this also is going to impact the Jets. Now, are they going to lose a superstar like Sauce Gardner? No. Are they going to lose a core player like Garrett Wilson? No. You know, I'm a little hesitant to give running back second contracts, so I'll leave Brees Hall out of this for a moment. But is it going to prevent the Jets from giving Elijah Vera Tucker a second contract? No. Where it could impact them is, you know, maybe in free agency. Maybe the next DJ Reed who's out there. Maybe they won't be able to afford him. You know, it could come down, you know, a good player like 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 that. It could come down to the Jets versus some other team. And maybe the Jets just lose out by a million or two because they've got all this dead money on the on the books for Rodgers. So that's where it comes in. It's not like, and I think maybe this is not a good podcast topic because I think people want to hear one or the other one here will have no impact on the Jets or they want to hear we are doomed financially. And the truth is neither is neither is the reality of the situation. But it's going to impact the Jets. It will be, I, I would term it an obstacle going forward. And, you know, I've made the I, I made the argument and I've lost that for the Jets' Super Bowl odds with Rodgers, I'm not sure it's an obstacle I, I necessarily think is worth creating, but I've lost that battle. So Rodgers will be here. It's just something the Jets will have to deal with, and you hope you get a great 2023 season out of him, if nothing else, and, you know, maybe even get a 2024 season out of Aaron Rodgers. All right, our next question deals with whether more than just Rodgers could be coming to the jet, to the Jets, what are the odds the Jets and Packers also work out a swap of tackles in the Rodgers trade, bringing the Jets David Bakhtiari? You know, a few years ago, there was this mailbag question, and it, it was really interesting because I was asked which player not who's a non-quarterback on another team, if I could take any non-quarterback in the NFL and add him to the Jets, who would I take? And I answered David Bakhtiari because he was a great left tackle phenomenal left tackle for a number of years and it was people were shocked but that's what i you know i I, in some some ways i try and be very new school like i really do enjoy analytics i enjoy you know a lot of the new types of strategy that are entering the nfl you know what the numbers telling you going for it on fourth down 
um, lots of different things, being aggressive on two-point conversions. These are things that, that I really like. But in some ways, I'm kind of old school where, you know, after my quarterback, the second guy I want is the left tackle. What are the odds the Jets get Bakhtiari? That was the actual question. You know, a, a few weeks ago, I would have told you I thought I uh, pretty good because, you know, Rodgers, we've seen that he's already brought Alan Lazard to the Jets. There are probably some other guys who are going to follow who are friends of his. And, you know, Bakhtiari is personal left tackle. That would have been a logical fit, especially given the Jets' offensive line str- issues. But Bakhtiari restru- redid his deal with Green Bay. And, you know, first of all, I don't think the Packers would have done that if they had any intention of trading him. But when you redo, when you redo somebody's deal, typically it makes it much tougher to trade. So I think the odds are actually quite low that the Jets will get Bakhtiari at this point. I would have answered differently a few weeks ago, but I don't think he's, you know, I think there will be a lot of, you know, friends of Aaron Rodgers, so to speak, coming to the Jets. But I don't think David Bakhtiari will be one of them. Listen, I'd, I'd still welcome him. I still think he would be a pretty... Uh, logical fit for the Jets, but I think uh, that that ship has sailed. Now, here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, believe it or not, we're going to talk more Aaron Rodgers. We're going to talk about how much of of his salary Green Bay should take on to make it a good deal for the Jets. Today's episode of Lockdown Jets is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. We're talking Aaron Rodgers. It's Jets offseason. The draft is just a few weeks away. There are no games to watch, though. That's not true of college basketball, however. The tournament's heating up. In fact, it's not just heating up. We have the Final Four this weekend with three first-time participants in the Final Four. And there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. That's because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on and sign up today to claim your no-sweat first bet. Then you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the nets. And it's all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no-sweat first bet. Bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Thank you for making Lockdown Jets your first listener, first watch every day. We continue with our weekly mailback. Our next question John, let's assume the Jets trade two second-round picks for Rodgers. What percentage of Rodgers' salary should be kept by the Packers? At at what point would the Packers be eating enough salary to make this trade a good one for the Jets? It strikes me that if the Packers take on a large proportion of the salary, the Jets will not be stuck with a bad contract, and they'll maintain cap flexibility. That means Rodgers would be worth a bigger price. I, I don't love the idea of giving up two second round picks for Rodgers no matter what, because that's, you know, it's an awfully high price for any sort of rental player. So I, I hope the price is lower. But in all honesty, I think my bigger issue is the contract. It's just a bad contract. I mean, Green, it's not an accident Green Bay's trying to get out of this thing. It, they made a big mistake signing this contract a year ago. If the Jets are willing to, to give a lending hand to help Green Bay out of this contract, I mean, well, I, I still don't understand why the Jets have to give up much to get Rodgers, because this is a salary dump, essentially. I mean, Green Bay is trying to, I guess what it is, it's for appearances, because I guess Green Bay is, you know, very hesitant to think about how it will be perceived in their fan base and maybe across the league if they just give Rodgers up, a, you know, a first ballot Hall of Famer. But given the circumstances, that's, you know, the Jets are taking on a bad contract. I mean, there's no other way to put it. So, I think one of the things that, one of the things I would like to see is the Jets not take on the bad contract. Essentially, if the Jets are going to take Rodgers, the Jets are going to actually give up an asset, and I hope it's not two second-round picks. But if the Jets are actually going to give up an asset, I'd like to see the Packers eat half the contract. Because Rodgers at $30 million, 
for where he is. And I think, you know, he's not the player he used to be. He's still probably going to play at a high level this year. But I think at $30 million, that, that becomes a good value for the Jets for a one-year quarterback. And that's the point where you can I think you can justify at least giving up one asset. I don't know about two assets. I don't know about two second-round picks. But for me, that's kind of the price. So the closer the Jets get to getting the Packers to pick up half the tab, the happier I am. The further away it is, the less happy I am. But I've, I've been putting, I put it around $30 million because I think that's that's the point where Rodgers would become a good value even in a one-year one scenario for the Jets. Our next question, the team has been saying Zach Wilson is going to be the number two quarterback this year, but do you believe that to be true? Or do you see them bringing in a veteran to back up Rodgers so Zach Wilson can just study and leave the, and, and learn without the threat of actually playing? If so, who do you see as viable options? If not, does Strevler stay on the roster as number three or number two? So lots of questions there. You know, they say Zach Wilson's going to be the backup. I don't know if I believe them on that. Because for the reasons you mentioned, I mean, if we're talking about actually focusing on developing Zach Wilson, you don't want him on the field. I mean, look what happened this past year. They put him back on the field after they benched him, and it was bad. You know, I think Zach Wilson's at the point where he's got to learn from the sideline. So, And beyond that, you're trying to win the Super Bowl this year. You can't be one injury away from Zach Wilson starting a quarterback. That just doesn't work. So I think they have to look for a veteran. You know, I don't know that there are many great names out there. So, you know, we'll see what happens on that front. But I don't think Strebler is much of an option. I mean, Strebler, maybe you can build a package for Strebler. You know, he was it was kind of exciting when he was running around in that Jacksonville game, that Thursday nighter. But, I mean, I don't know that there's really a future for Strebler outside of maybe being like a, a sub-package player. Guy, maybe you get a guy. Maybe you build a couple plays for. You utilize his running skills, but outside of that, I, I don't see it. Next question, John. What do you think the Jets' plan is for Garrett Wilson, and do you think they value him as a true number one receiver? We have signed a solid group of role-playing receivers and may sign another in Odell Beckham Jr. With as many resources as the Jets have devoted to the position, do you think collectively this group was that bad, or do you think the hope is to ease some of the burden off Wilson, allowing him to become elite? Well, I think they've brought in some role players. I think they've brought in some depth players. I mean, that's what I think Alan Lazard is. That's what I think Nicole Hardman is. I don't know that they've done a great job helping Garrett Wilson out, though. And I do think they view him as a as number one receiver. You know, look, a guy had 1,100 yards with the worst quarterback play in the league. you got to be a pretty good receiver to do that. And that's as a rookie. So, you know, year two, you're hoping to... It doesn't always go this way, but year two, you're hoping to see him take the next step and maybe become one of those one of the elite receivers in the NFL. But if we're talking about is Garrett Wilson the number one receiver, I guess, you know, technically, and I don't love, you know, the, the phrase number one receiver, but technically, if you think about it, you know, being a number one receiver in its essence means you're one of the top 32 receivers in the NFL because there are 32 teams. Garrett Wilson's absolutely a top 32 receiver. And I mean, I think that if the Jets weren't confident in Garrett Wilson as a number one, they would have been more aggressive trying to bring in a bigger name, not bring in some of these depth players. I mean, for me, you know, I don't love the idea. I got to be honest with you. I really don't love the idea of Odell Beckham Jr. because I really feel like it's a big risk and you could definitely see a scenario where it goes sideways. But the problem is it doesn't seem like the Jets are that interested in DeAndre Hopkins. So if they're not interested in DeAndre Hopkins, they got to get in a guy who can take some of the pressure off Garrett. I don't think Lazard is that. I think Lazard, Lazard's a role player. I think Lazard's a third or fourth option. Mecole Hardman's a fourth option on a good team. So for that sense, I mean, they got to find in a guy who could be, at least be a sidekick for him. And, you know, Beckham, at least to an extent, was kind of that sidekick for Cooper Cup when we last saw him 
playing with the LA Rams two years ago. So I look at this, I don't think they've done a great job surrounding Garrett with the, with a good supporting cast. I would have liked to see them be more aggressive. In fact, what I wanted them to kind of look at to their, as their model was what the Philadelphia Eagles did last year. Devontae Smith had a very good rookie, maybe not as good as Garrett, but Devontae Smith had a good rookie season in 2021. What did they do? They surrounded him with more talent. They went out and got made an aggressive move for A.J. Brown. In fact, last offseason, I wanted the Jets to be aggressive and go get a veteran receiver. And, you know, they really did not. I know they tried to get Tyreek Hill, but they were not as aggressive as I thought they should have been last year. And this year was a perfect spot because I, I feel like it's not a, not necessarily a, not necessarily some, getting a, one of those guys means that you doubt Garrett Hill, Garrett Wilson's the number one receiver. It's just good to have two number one receivers. Look at Cincinnati. You know, it was Jamar Chase and, and T. Higgins. They're both number one receivers. So... When you make you put a lot of stress on the defense because even if a defense has like a and there aren't many sauce gardeners but even if a defense has a sauce gardener if you got two of them you can't put sauce on both of them because not every team has a DJ Reed so I think that you know I would have liked to have seen the Jets be more aggressive at receiver I think Beckham is probably the guy who comes I think it's probably the the best fit at the moment but certainly it comes with with a degree of risk I would have liked to see the Jets be more aggressive uh, at the receiver position. Now, had you on the Locked On Jets podcast, we're going to close out the weekly mailbag. We're actually going to play a lightning round. Somebody sent in a question, a, a question with a bu- looking for a bunch of quick answers. So we'll play lightning round. Had you on this Wednesday Locked On Jets mailbag. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on our Wednesday mailbag show. We're going to close out. Somebody sent in a question asking me for a bunch of quick thoughts. So it's phrased Jim Cramer lightning round question. So I have to choose between two options. And the first question is Ray Lucas or Glenn Foley. Now, I don't know if I can only answer one in one word. I'm going to actually give some explanations here. Um, Glenn Foley actually had some good games at the end of 97, had a really big game in the uh, opener in 98 in San Francisco. That was the game Garrison Hurst ran for a 99-yard touchdown in overtime, but I think you got to go Ray Lucas. Ray Lucas took over for Rick Meyer in 1999. 99, Vinny Testaverde gets hurt at the beginning of the season, first game of the season. Rick Meyer takes over as the quarterback. Actually, Tom Tupa, technically the punter, took over as the quarterback for the first game until the fourth quarter. That's when Rick Meyer, Tupa threw two touchdowns in, against New England. But then Rick Meyer took over for uh, Tupa, and the Jets got off to a terrible start that year. But Ray Lucas came in and led the Jets to an 8-8 eight eight finish, uh, eight, eight and 8-8 eight record after everything seemed lost. It felt like the, the entire season had gone down the drain. And Ray Lucas kind of sparked them to, to a big finish. They fell just short of the playoffs, but Ray Lucas in 99 really brought the Jets back from the precipice. And uh, I think if Bill Parcells was being honest with you, he, he would admit that his biggest mistake that year was not going to Lucas sooner. Next questions are Lamont Jordan or Sean Green? Green had that great moment, a great stretch in the 09 playoffs. In fact, in the AFC Championship game against the Colts, him him getting hurt in the, early in the second half was maybe the turning point of that game. If he had not gotten hurt, because he was running the ball really well in the playoffs, that may have, you know, and the Jets were a run-oriented team. That he may that game may have turned out differently if Green had stayed in. But I have to go to Lamont Jordan. Lamont Jordan was a number one back and who just had the misfortune of playing behind Curtis Martin. And he went to the Raiders and had a thousand yard season. So I got to go Lamont Jordan. Jason Ferguson or Snacks Harrison? Ferguson was a tremendous player. Um, Jets really missed him after he left in free agency in 04. But Snacks Harrison was as dominant of a run stopping nose tackle as you'll ever see. I mean, he was, he was probably, you know, maybe the best Jets run defender uh, of his generation. So I'd go Snacks Harrison. 
Chancey Stuckey or David Clowney? Well, that one's easy, Chancey Stuckey. David Clowney was this guy who dominated preseason games, but never did anything during the regular season. So it's got to be Stuckey. That's not, Stuckey was a slot receiver. He had, a, I mean, he wasn't great, but he had a few moments. He always, he, he had like an, he had a touchdown catch like almost every opening day he played in, and then he got traded to Cleveland in the Braylon, Braylon Edwards trade. So Stuckey made plays in the in the regular season. He made plays in, in real games. David Clowney dominated the second half of preseason games. Aaron Glenn or Ray Mickens? Two great Jets corners, but Aaron Glenn. Aaron Glenn was a pro, made a bunch of Pro Bowl teams with the Jets. Mickens was never that good. Aaron Glenn, you know, for a stretch, was one of the better corners in the NFL. Mickens was good. You know, Mickens could play inside. He could play outside. Maybe a little undersized. Well, Glenn was undersized too, but uh, Mickens had a little bit more versatility. But Aaron Glenn, you know, Aaron Glenn was a heck of a corner for the Jets, one of the greatest corners in Jets history. Pete Kendall or Alan Fanica? Now, these two are actually related. Pete Kendall signed with the Jets in training camp in 04, played left guard for three years, helped stabilize the offensive line. In 2007, he asked for a $1 million raise, and Eric Mangini would not give it to him, and ended up trading him to Washington. The left tackle situation turned into a disaster with Adrian Clark, who to this day may be the worst offensive lineman I've ever seen in my life. If you, ever, if you don't think a left guard is capable of destroying an entire offense, you should have watched the 2007 Jets with Adrian Clark. It would have been, if Lockdown Jets existed in 2007, he would have been one of the stars of the show that season because he was a disaster. He was the, one of the, again, the maybe the worst offensive lineman I've ever seen play in the, in, in the NFL. And because the Jets would not give Pete Kendall a million dollars in 07 and suffered this disaster, they ended up having to give Alan Fanica a huge... I mean, because of a million dollars, they ended up having to give Alan Fanica this monster free agent deal in 2008. But I think uh, Kendall was good. I got to go Fanica, though. I mean, Fanica was part of that dominant offensive line in 09 that the Jets rode. Uh, he was excellent in his two seasons with the Jets. And then in, 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 just completely incomprehensibly, the Jets drafted Vladimir Dukas and then cut... cut uh, Kendall and fortunately Matt Slauson was able to step into the starting lineup but the Jets essentially drafted Dukas to, to take over for Fanica and people will say no they didn't yes they did they literally cut they literally cut Fanica like hours after they drafted Dukas it was obvious they drafted Dukas to replace Fanica and it did not work out at all and that's the side perfect segue Vlad Dukas or Brian Winters and that's the last one yeah what a, what a way to end this this show Vladimir Dukas or Brian Winters well the answer to that's pretty simple in 2013, the Jets benched Dukas for Winters. So Winters was not great, but I mean, Winters, you know, started for a number of years. Vlad Dukas was a second round pick who started four games for the Jets. Now, I, I've never, I was never a big Winters fan, but he was much better than Vlad Dukas. He, he wasn't, he was not a total disaster the way Dukas was out there. So Brian Winters. So that's the lightning round. Anyway, thank you for the questions. But that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast source, please a five-star review. If you're watching on YouTube, please a big thumbs up. These things help the podcast out and help other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.